This week's guest is Monte Burrow, who joins us from Atlanta, Georgia. Monte has nearly two decades of experience in the alcohol beverage industry. With degrees in both engineering and marketing, Monte has extensive experience on both the operations side as well as the marketing side and fully understands both ends of the business. Monte has co-founded Proof Theory, a holding company for niche brands, and Blackleaf Organic, the first French organic vodka on the market. Monte is a business leader with a lot of drive and determination, and we immensely enjoyed our conversation with him. Make sure you check out blackleafvodka.co and prooftheory.co online and check the show notes for all the links talked about in the interview. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. How's it going, buddy? Doing well, thanks. How about yourself? Good. Yeah, as we're recording this, we're uh, getting ready for the Christmas season, I guess, but um, not quite there yet. But when you're listening, it'll already be over. Yeah, that's correct. Probably be past New Year's too. So when this episode comes out, so I hope everyone had a happy New Year and a good Christmas. Yeah, we should let you know that uh, Dan and I will have taken a few weeks off from recording the podcast over the holidays. So this is the last one you're going to get for a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, yeah, because there also might be a break later on in January as well, because I happen to be out of town for a bit. So if you find a that our podcast schedule is like every other week for a bit, uh, that might be why. Don't worry, we're still alive. We're still alive. We're still yeah. doing it. This is actually episode 140. Plugging along, recent uh, episodes include uh, Chef Nui Regular and her husband, Jeff. And then we also had, before that, Lauren Moat uh, coming to us from Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Before, before that, what do we have? We had Ali Kudoba, who joined us on vacation oh, from right. the Dominican Republic, which is pretty cool. And then prior to that, we'd had, oh, Matt. Oh, shoot. Matt Hassan. Yeah, Matt Hassan. Yeah. Correct. From, he was uh, great. Lovely Kelowna. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the archives. You should check them out if you missed any of those episodes. We should also let you know that if you are a fan of the show, the best way to help is to subscribe, rate, and review. You leave a little five-star review for us. We'd love it. And it uh, helps with the algorithm. So, you know, hook us up. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can DM at the Industry Podcast or email directly info at theindustrypodcast.club. That's also where you can reach out to us with any possible sponsorship. If you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo region, you're going to want to check out, especially now that we're into January, you're definitely going to at least come out. Dry January is bullshit. We all know dry January is bullshit. (laughs) I, I don't believe in it. Neither should you. So come on out to the bars still. Sugar Run in Kitchener is the one bar that I own that is the Speakeasy, downtown Kitchener. Uh, You can look at at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram to find out the password and to try and figure out the location. Uptown Waterloo, my other bar is Babylon Sisters Wine and Spirits. And uh, that's uh, right on the main drag there on King Street. So you can check out what's going on there at Babylon Sisters Bar. DJ Bane every Friday night, a very popular experience uh, and i guess that's it eh you got mm-hmm. anything else you want to talk about i got nothing interesting to say as per usual got to be consistent <laughs> <laughs> perfect all right well let's just get right to our guest joining us from atlanta georgia is monte burrow how are you monte i'm doing great guys how are you guys doing doing well yeah. doing well yeah thanks for coming on yeah. the show i got a little bit of a bug but i'm powering through it like uh you know 
You don't take any off days in the podcasting world. No, no, you you, you got to do it. You got to get it in while you can get it in. I think I got a little bit going on myself. So uh, I uh, guess if we, if we get the coughs up, somebody can edit them out. That's right. It's funny, eh? When you, when you stop wearing a fucking mask every day, all of a sudden everybody's sick again. All right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, Monte, you've had a pretty interesting career, so we wanted to talk to you about it. Um, I, I guess we'll start out. You went after, after you finished college, you got a co-op opportunity with Anheuser Busch. Is that sort of how you kind of crept into the industry here? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that was my first uh, go in the alcohol business, besides uh, being a consumer. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's actually kind of funny, right? So I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the the uh, Anheuser-Busch experience, but it's what's mm-hmm. funny is most of my adult life has been in drugs and alcohol. And that'll make yeah. sense as I tell you the story, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's literally a drugs and alcohol story, right? So yeah, so I grew born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, went to a school, Morgan State University, and you know, Baltimore is a pretty, I mean, it's, it's a pretty blue collar town, you know, people kind of get in, do what they need to do and keep it moving, you know, and mm-hmm. a strong work ethic. And, you know, I was that was always instilled in me. So my world at that time was always Baltimore. You know, that's what I knew. I went to school in Baltimore and it just so happened that they had some um, recruits, recruiters from Anheuser-Busch on campus looking for people who were interested in opportunities. And I knew nothing about St. Louis, the middle of the United States. And had never been there. wasn't much known about it, but I kind of took a chance and it was a great experience that, you know, would kind of foreshadow where a lot of my life would end up. But obviously, I never knew that at the time. Right. So what like what were your specific responsibilities doing the co-op? Yeah. So um, academically in school, I went to school for engineering. So the co-op was actually more on the technical side of the business. Right. So I was literally working in some of the operations where they were actually making the beer. You know, so it wasn't the sexy side of the business where we were going out and riding on the back with the Clydesdales and, you know, going to the (laughs) events and whatnot. I know we were I was getting up in the crack of dawn going in and smelling work, which is, you know, if you know, if you know anything about the beer business, it's, it's, you know, it's just it smells horrible. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Going inside of tanks and, you know, uh, doing uh, time studies and all that good geeky engineering type stuff. But, you know, I got an opportunity while I was there to really see how that was my first real business opportunity. You know, I'm still in school and I'm working. If for those who don't know what a co-op is, it's basically like an extended internship, right? So it was an eight month assignment where I got actually took a break from school to work at Anheuser-Busch, you know, got to travel around the world. And, you know, it was just, just an interesting experience, met some really good people and understood or learned very quickly, you know, a, a lot about my style, you know, um, whether I be a people person, whether it be all about the numbers and the books. And, you know, it was just a great experience. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what did you decide? People person? Yeah, you know, I, I actually think I do gravitate towards more being a people person because I, I, I learned throughout my career that people, I, had, I kind of adopted this saying, will versus skill. I'd rather have the people with the will to succeed, succeed and do than the people with the skill, but not the will to do it because you can really move mountains when people are connect. You can connect with people and, and move in sync with them. So I'm definitely more in tune with the people to get the work done versus just finding the best and brightest talent. Right. 
So how soon after that did you start working for Diageo? Yeah, well, and that's the, that's the interesting. So it was a big gap between that time, and that's where the drugs and alcohol came in, right? So okay. uh, after Anheuser-Busch, went back, finished my senior year in undergrad, then went to work. I ended up working for a biotech company or a, bio, a bioscience company that actually manufactured meninge vaccines. And then I did some consulting work in that drug space as well. And my last stint in the pharmaceutical realm was at a place that had just got bought out. And I was like, you know, I wanted to do something different. It just so happened that a gentleman who actually sat next to me in the office next to me at the pharmaceutical company had interviewed with Diageo. And he interviewed for this role. It was a, it was a continuous improvement role. And they told him, you know, hey, you know, we like you. We have another role that you might be well suited for but not this role. And he said, well, you know what? I know somebody that will probably fit great in this role. And he he, he pitched it over to me. Ironically, I had never heard of Diageo, but I was extremely familiar with the brands as most people are. Most people that listen to this sure. probably have no clue who Diageo is. But, you know, I was very familiar with the brands and come to find out, you know, that this was in Baltimore. It was the old Seagram's facility. And I used to ride past that facility pretty much all the time going to the airport. If you've ever been to Baltimore, to BWI, you can see the big where the big brick warehouses. So I never knew that that was a Diageo site. And that's kind of how I was introduced to Diageo. Yeah, there was a big Seagram's uh, distillery here in Waterloo as well, ironically. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's only a small section left because whenever they need to redevelop something in this town, they just burn it down suspiciously on a Ooh. on a weekend. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah. sad story, but some great liquid came out of that water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so like when you get the job for Diageo, what is it exactly that you're doing? Yeah, so at Diageo, and again, it's it's almost a prelude to some other things that had happened, right? So even if I was to back up before I jump into that, right yeah. out of undergrad. Again, I told I mentioned to you that my background was engineering, right? So I did what any other engineer would do coming out of undergrad. I started a marketing company, right? Go figure. <laughs> right. So and, and, <laughs> and it was it was it was literally I, I was the king of moonlighting, right? So I was literally an engineer by day and I had this side hustle, if you will, by night. So my nine to five was an engineer. My my five to nine was I was actually doing experiential marketing. And quite a few of my clients happened to be in the alcohol space, right? So Martel, Cognac, Seagram's, Crown Royal, a lot of times I would do these activations for them in different in different markets. And I got again a good sense of what I really enjoyed to do and what I like to do. And I realized that I was really, I was really connected to customers and the consumer experience. That's what I enjoy, even though academically I wasn't in that space, right? So fast forward several years to my Diageo days. Again, I came on board in Diageo in that supply engineering capacity, but my goal was to basically lean into, at this point, nine years of side hustling in the marketing world that I had developed, right? So my roles varied quite a bit uh, initially up front. I did everything on the on the supply side from, again, I talked about continuous improvement. So looking at process optimization, looking at ways to improve efficiency of how we make product, right? So the, the plant that I worked in, I think we produced around 7 million cases of, of, of product, spirit products a year. So I, I worked quite extensively in that spot. And then I also started to take on hybrid roles because I ended up at, you know, again, I'm fast forwarding a bit, but I ended up going back to school, getting the MBA in marketing. So I literally had both a marketing and an engineering degree now to complement the experience that I had. And again, that was an op- that was a that was for me to essentially transition full time onto the, that side of the business, right? So I was doing a lot of hybrid roles in a space where I could speak both languages. I knew, I was the supply guy who that could speak 
marketing and I was the marketing guy who could speak supply. So it was kind of one of those rare spaces where I knew how to kind of connect both worlds. And I worked in a lot of roles that kind of connected both of those worlds. And then I ended up going, moving up to uh, the New York area working. I actually ran Seagram's globally for for a while. And then I was responsible for some innovation projects and strategy for the North American whiskey portfolio. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Crazy. That's that's kind of sort of how you get it done, right? Like you make yourself indispensable in two different worlds. You're the only guy who can speak to both sides of it. And uh, they're going to need to keep you around. Yeah, it's 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 a great everybody always told me, wow, you you are kind of a unicorn. You can kind of write your own ticket. And it just it was funny to me because my own ticket was always even though I hadn't necessarily leaned into it, my own ticket kind of became I wanted to go back into that entrepreneurial space, right? So that moonlighting that I told you about that I did for those nine years or so, it was always in me, you know? And mm. it, it was something about being able to, I mean, look, Diageo treated me great. I was there for 12 years, learned a lot, again, traveled the world. I was everything from a plant manager. So I ended up at one point running that site in Baltimore that I mentioned, you know, so had around 120 employees and like, you know, so I learned a lot about my style, learned a lot about just being able to connect the dots in a big organization, but it was something always burning in me that wanted to be able to make my own way, you know, be able to create a business that my value shine forward. And, you know, when the opportunity kind of presents the, itself, whether it's an opportunity you make, you come some, you just gotta, you, sometimes you just got to go for it. And it was at that time where it's just like, you know what, I want to go for it. And I went for it. And I want to get, I, I, we will obviously want to get into some of the businesses that you've started here, but just getting back to Diageo for a little bit, what would you say your favorite role was? You did so many different things for them. What was your favorite? Wow. It's funny, right? My favorite role was probably my least favorite role from con- in, in its inception. And what I mean by that is, it was a role that I actually didn't want, that I right. had no desire to take. I ended up taking it and ended up being the biggest learning experience that I've ever had. And that was going back to that plant manager role in Baltimore because it was at a time where I was literally brought in to close down the facility. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. So if you can imagine what that's like, somebody tell you, hey, we want you to come in and take this huge responsibility on. And by the way, we got to close it. You know, it's like, wow. And that was also at the time where I was about to transition back fully back into the marketing side. So it was like, not only it was a huge departure from what professionally my career, the direction I was taking my career in, but also kind of one of those jobs like, you know, there was people that had been there 30 plus years, you know, who that's all they knew. So, you know, on paper, I didn't want any parts of it, you know, but I ended up taking on the task. And, you know, I realized when you asked me about, you know, my, is it the people or, or, or the product, you know what I mean? I say mm-hmm. the people because I was able to, I think I was in that role for about eight months before the time I took the role and the time we everything transpired. But we were able to, full transparency, we ended up not closing the plant fully. But, I mean, we reduced it damn near 90 plus percent. We did it with dignity. The people, you, you would think, I, I'm thinking I'm going to walk in there with a target on my back, but, you know, I just went in and kind of like, look, I don't care about the norms. I don't care about what the protocol should be in this. I'm not, ask, I'm not asking for any anything other than to just make sure that you have my back. You know, I went and had that conversation with my boss and he was like, I got you. And, you know, we were able to really do some amazing things during that time. And to this day, a lot of those folks that work with me and for me still reach out, you know what I mean? So it was definitely something I didn't walk into expecting to do it all. But, you know, it was it was a great learning experience for me to know that, you know, you can tackle the anything that may look insurmountable 
if you do it with the right intentions in mind. It seems like you're the kind of guy, Monte, that just basically sort of says yes to everything, figuring you'll figure it out. Now you're getting some new learning experience. Would you say that's an accurate description? It's it's close. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't say yes to yeah. everything. I am very comfortable yeah. in my nose. But yeah. <laughs> this this one was one of those ones where I think I knew, although my heart was no, that it had to happen. You know, right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about proof theory. Obviously, you're putting now all your experiences and all the all the different jobs you've held into sort of created a package of, uh, of all these different things you can do. So is this what gave birth to like a business like proof theory? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. So proof theory came about from years culminating into something that I didn't know was bubbling for it. Right. So. Uh, when I left Diageo, I knew that I was going to ultimately do something back in the alcohol space on my own, but wanted to figure out what exactly that was and what it looked like. I had met a gentleman many years previously, and I always say this, so anybody that knows me, I always talk about I'm an energy person, right? So I, I either click with you, I click with you or I don't. And if I don't, we can still have cordial relationship, but I, I kind of keep it moving. But if I, if if we if, if we don't click, but if we do click, I'm in tune with, you know, connecting and seeing how we can build together. And this was someone that we just clicked right, right off the bat. So uh, right around the time when I left Diageo, he, he, he had, he was an entrepreneur in the alcohol space, but didn't have much alcohol experience other than his entrepreneur endeavors. And what happened was we ended up talking and what should have been about a quick 45 minute conversation about, Hey, what's next? This and that we ended up talking for hours and proof theory was literally birthed during the midst of that conversation. The concept behind proof, so if, if, if you think of the word proof, P-R-O-O-F, is somewhat of a double entendre, right? So you have the word proof, uh, evidence of something, you know, establishing fact and truth, you know, so you have that part of proof. But then in our world, obviously, proof is all about activating yeast, you know what I mean? That's, that's the whole premise of the alcohol development, right? So that was that double entendre play and the proof, the theory behind what we're doing. And our whole goal was literally about how can we tap into an ecosystem or build an ecosystem that is somewhat under underserved and underdeveloped for those who don't who obviously can't see me. I'm an African-American and there's not a lot of African-American alcohol brand owners who within our industry. Um, And it's a pretty large disparity. Right. So it's how can we really tap into that ecosystem of ownership in the alcohol space. And our whole focus with Proof Theory is kind of bringing some of those theories to life through nuanced and niche brands. Mm -hmm. Specifically, how would you describe what Proof Theory does? Yeah, yeah. So Proof Theory leans into technology at scale, right? So our whole focus is on curating elite brands. And the the part about underserved communities, that's the link is, there are probably a lot of people, or not even probably, there are a lot of people like me who've had experience in the alcohol industry, but have never been able to participate at the table from an ownership standpoint. So part of what we do and part of our goal as we launch brands is to bring in individuals to actually help us become, uh, help us drive those brands, but from an equity position, right? So let's just say there's a blender here or a distiller there or someone who's launched from a marketing standpoint, some of these major products, 
We're looking at bringing products to market, but bringing those in, using, utilizing those people, not just as worker bees, but giving them an equity share in these little mini businesses that we're creating, right? So it's almost like it's almost like Proof Theory is a holding company where we're launching not just brands, but we're launching mini businesses. And those businesses will, uh, you'll be able to participate in ownership in those businesses as we bring those brands to market. Oh, that's a, that's an amazing concept. Uh, like, <laughs> it seems a little overwhelming to get it started, though. Too like, was uh, talk to me a little bit about the development of it. Yeah, you know, call call it naivete or just call it craziness, but it, it's kind of like that's the gift and curse having worked with such a large organization, right? I've literally seen behind the curtain. I've worked behind the curtain. I've I've seen pretty much it all. And I've seen a lot of brands and a lot of people in the industry throughout my year. Because this is now with with my experience at Diageo and me doing my stuff. I mean, this is over 20 years of being in those circles. It's daunting, but people do it. And, you know, it's it's not the hardest thing in the world. The easiest, the, the hardest part is just taking the first step. So the first step was my business partner and I sitting down saying, let's do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. Literally, we, we literally said, hey, let's do it. And it was like, OK. And we, you know, we 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 started to just climb. What is that? We started to eat the elephant. Right. So we said, what are we going to call ourselves? And Proof Theory kind of emerged. Right. What is going to be our first product? So we started to kind of look at trends and see what's what's in, in, what's interesting out in the world. And, oh, we found something that we thought might be quite interesting. You know, we started to talk with talk about names and we started looking up trademarks. So we literally one step at a time started to build this out. And then we started to say, you know, Hey, are we drinking our own Kool-Aid? So we would bounce this off of colleagues, former colleagues, friends, family, and everyone was like, wow, you have something here. And we kind of looked at each other and said, look, let's just do it. And what's the worst that could happen? It doesn't work. That's the worst that could happen. You know? Yeah. Did you have to get a lot of investment capital to get this going off the ground? Or is this something you just kind of built up slowly and then just kind of took in a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, sources of money and stuff? Or how does this work? Yeah. So Proof Theory right now is self-funded. We are, we, yeah, we are, we will be taking in investment, but here's what's interesting about it, right? So this is kind of why we took our time to build this out the right way up front. It's not necessarily about investing in Proof Theory. It's about investing in the brands that Proof Theory will launch because each brand, again, will be its own business entity, right? So as we launch these brands, then you'll have an opportunity, just like anybody. I mean, you think of you think of one of your favorite brands. If it's not owned by, let's say, a large um, uh, a large company, someone started it. So the same it'll be that same approach. Right. And we'll have it'll have its own P&L will have its own values and purpose and function and, and place. And that's how we go after it. So we haven't launched the first product under the Proof Theory umbrella yet. It's a product that we've been developing for probably we're we're super anal about quality, right? So number one, I don't care black owned, whatever you want to call it. It's quality is number one for us. It's about how do we have the best product that's out there, right? And we're, we're just, my partner and I are super anal about that. So we've been developing this first liquid for literally about two years now. And I think we're finally at a point where both of us can be like, okay, I think we got it (laughs) instead of going back and forth with the distillery. The packaging, oh my goodness, is unbelievable. The packaging pretty much tells a story. So it's nothing off the shelf. So we're very, very dedicated into doing something that we know people will love. And, you know, if you focused on that first, the investments will come. Gotcha. Uh, Outside of quality, what is what are some of the other things you're looking for when you're trying to like launch certain brands? Like what, what's on your sort of checklist? 
So, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business, right? So it has to be something that has some type of consumer pull. Uh, you know, it has to be something that someone would actually want, even if it, even, sometimes now that's that's even that's kind of a gray area because sometimes they might not know that they want it. And you got to you have to kind of tell them the value of, of having this product, even though, you know, it's that may be somewhat counterintuitive. But I mean, so so quality, obviously, as as you mentioned, is number one, but it's it's something cool, something it has to be something that we're interested in, because I don't really want to play in any space where I'm not interested um, I'm not going to do it if if I wouldn't consume it. You know what I mean? It, it just mm-hmm. has to it has to be a unique proposition that's just a little bit outside of the norm, but not totally outside of the norm for us to be interested in it. Right. Well, I, uh, honestly, my dad's super cool business idea, and uh, I'm glad that someone's actually filling that space in the marketplace because there's not a whole lot out there like it. Talk to me a little bit about Blackleaf Vodka and how that came to be. Yeah, yeah. So Blackleaf and, and Proof Theory are almost tied to the hip, right? Because my business partner is the same in both. So the story the story is, you know, I, I mentioned to you how we developed Proof Theory. Now, my business partner, several years prior, had started Blackleaf. Before I even get into how we met, even that story of Blackleaf is super interesting, right? So he's a finance guy, worked in the in the real estate business. And he just happened to be on vacation in Cognac, France, and he runs into a soccer player. And the soccer player was pretty well known in the community, he was married to a lady in Cognac. And they ended up connecting and, you know, the soccer player knew everyone in the city and started introducing them to some folks in the city. One of the people that he introduced them to was a gentleman named Bertrand Laclee, who was like a fifth generation master distiller. And they ended up sharing some pretty great Cognacs and Cognac and, you know, Again, this and this is before I met my business partner. And he's like, you know what? He had that vision or that audacity, probably more than vision, to say, you know what? I love consumer products. I love great products. I would love to create something in that space. So again, no alcohol experience whatsoever. He ended up creating a product which would eventually become Blackleaf or Organic Vodka. So again, similar to me, where I was an engineer by day and a uh, marketer at not by night, he was in his job by day and kind of had this little side gig that was a vodka, but didn't really do anything with it and didn't really know what to do with it. And what the response was always, this is a great liquid, but nothing came about from it. So I was actually introduced to him because some folks said, hey, look, I know a guy named Monte who has a lot of alcohol experience. You guys should meet because you, he can maybe give you some tips and help you out with some things. So I met with, you know, it's kind of like I was in that position where I would always hear this, you know, so I'm like, yeah, I'll meet with him. Like, you know, like, here we go again. Somebody else wants some advice. You know what I mean? And, and, and But again, going back to that energy piece, you know, your energy introduces you before people know your name and before you walk into the building. So it just was like instant, you know, and I say, you know, what? I'll help you as much as I can. Just let me know what you need or what you don't need. And we, we kind of stayed in touch. But this was years. So, so many years passed and he had the brand, but again, did nothing with the brand. So then let's fast forward to 2019. I'm leaving my corporate job. We had that conversation. We birthed Proof Theory, right? So now we have Proof Theory and we literally go gung-ho on creating our first product under Proof Theory. Blackleaf is still on the side, just, just sitting there on the side, right? Because we wanted to make sure it kind of, we didn't want to bring anything in if it didn't fit what I told you was the whole premise behind Proof Theory. So as we're building out Proof Theory and we're working on this first product, we kind of kept saying, you know, we have this product over here that we're not really doing anything with, but it's a phenomenal liquid, beautiful packaging. 
it kind of fits the mode of what we're doing with proof theory. So we'd be crazy not to put some energy in kind of building this brand out. So we started to kind of put some momentum into the brand and literally like pouring gasoline on a fire, it just took off, right? So we launched in the DC market where my business partner resides. We got into the Maryland market. I'm here in Georgia, so Atlanta. So we just got, we got into Georgia about a year ago. We're in Delaware and Kentucky. We just launched in California and Florida a couple of weeks ago. And we got into Virginia. So we'll we'll be in about 73 locations in Virginia, retail locations in Virginia next month. And then online, we partnered with Flaviar and Caskers and Reserve Bar. So we're in about another 36 states online, right? So that's kind of the footprint. But then going back to the brand, how were we able to really tap into those markets? The brand, like, look, again, going back to that Kool-Aid conversation, I want to make sure I'm not drinking my own Kool-Aid. I can sit here and tell you this is the smoothest vodka you'll ever taste in your life. But I've literally lived most of my adult life again in the alcohol space. I've tasted hundreds, if not thousands of brands, whether those vodkas, gins, whiskeys. This is literally one of the smoothest, best uh, spirits I've ever had, like literally hands down. And I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, look, I will tell you right now, yeah, it's good, but it's not great. Like I, I'm, I'm, I just, who I am, I'm telling you, it's that good. And we've, we were able to enter a few contests recently. We entered the New York Wine and Spirits Contest back a few months back. We actually won Best of Class Spirits. Forbes wrote up an article on it, and then people started at So it's literally been taken off like crazy. The, the product is a beautiful product. So organic, meaning no fertilizers or pesticides in the production. We use winter wheat, so any mixed allergies. And I know you guys interview quite a few folk gatekeepers in the bartender mm-hmm. mixology world. Especially when it comes to neutral spirits like a vodka, they'll always tell you winter wheat is typically it'll it'll produce profile that, that's really open to mixologists. And you know we use the finest norm, uh, winter wheat from Normandy. The packaging itself, the ink on the bottle is organic ink. We use a little bit less glass in the ma- in the manufacturing of the glass, so you have this old eco conscious play. So our whole focus on Blackleaf, we kind of call it making organic sexy. Not sexy in an erotic or irresponsible way, but a sexy from the standpoint of this is aspirational, it's ambitious, you know? You can have the finest ingredients, organic ingredients, but it doesn't have to be on a brown paper label with dust on it at the bottom of the shelf. It's something that I can see in my back bar, I can put it out, and people are like, wow, what is that? But then when you taste it, it's like, wow. And that's what we did. Oh, nice. So in terms of distribution, what was that like? Was it difficult to go in state by state? Because obviously every state's got their own different liquor laws. So uh, what's that What's that process like? Anyone in the alcohol business will tell you distribution is always the hardest nut to crack. And that's yeah. the same, it's the same with us. It's So it hasn't been super hard getting distribution. It's what's hard in the distribution world is really making sure that your product stays out in front of people because when you're in a different when you're in markets you know most distributors regardless of how good or how big they are they you you still have to be your sales team you know they yes they have the product and they make money when it's sold but you got to remember they are typically working with hundreds of brands right yeah. and we're still the small brand you know so like for instance one of our distrib- our distributed in, in Georgia happens to have Tito's so oh, yeah, you, you go. You know, you can imagine what that's like. So, so it's a lot of coaching and a lot of education. So, you know, when I meet with the distributor, it's like, hey, look, the elephant in the room. Yes, you represent Tito's and you represent this workhorse, but it's not about us trying to take market share from Tito's. How can we compliment you as you're doing your Tito's placement, right? 
different, even though it's both vodka, very different propositions, uh, different flavor profiles and different uses. So um, it's been something that's it's an it's always it's always part of the work and part of the journey. But, you know, I think we're focusing on coming up with the right stories, teaching and educating the the distribution team and what makes it easier. So those wins. So like when we like the, the I just told you the Forbes article that we were in or mm-hmm. when we're when we get acknowledgement from different groups, that goes a long way. You know, um, I mentioned that we just got into Virginia. So, you know, we had to pitch to the state and we sent them a bottle before the pitch. They tasted it. The product literally speaks for itself. So it's hard to say no once you're tasting it. And from a margin standpoint, we're basically a super premium product at a premium price point. So it's literally the liquid and the business. Just you'd be a fool to say no to it. Yeah, yeah. Be great to see in Canada sometime soon. That's for sure. LCBO is on my vision board. Yeah, nice. What's next for the brands? Where do you see yourself going in the next couple of years? Yeah, so with Blackleaf in particular, our whole focus is in depth, not width, Mm -hmm. right? So what I mean by that is, Again, having seen behind the curtain, I've seen a lot of brands like, oh, if I can just only get into, if I get to these 5,000 accounts and be in every place at every time, and I've seen them fizzle, right? So we want to be, we want to start in very succinct locations and build as much velocity in those accounts as possible, right? Really owning our backyard and own the accounts that we're in. Mm, yeah. And we want to do that. And, you know, if you think about it, just for me alone in, in Atlanta, what there's like 12,000 restaurants. And we're we're in about 150 accounts. So we have a lot of building that we're going to do in this space. We're going to be at, we have a pretty strong marketing game plan that we want to roll out next year. As you mentioned, I think you asked the question not too long ago about um, how hard is it to get something off the ground from an investment standpoint. We're still, we're actually still, so we're still in startup mode, even though the brand has been around, the product has been around for a while as a brand that we're doing now is relatively new. So we're still, we're raising money. So we're taking on investors for the brand. Um, we've talked with a couple of angels and VCs, um, and obviously we're still out there uh, um, raising for this next round. We hope to close out this round by March. But I mean, the sky's the limit with Blackleaf. We really, th- this brand, this, this what's, what's super interesting about Vodka is it's almost like the forgotten alcohol, but the reality is it's still the largest, at least in the States, it's still the largest selling Spirit, you know, people are talking whiskey and tequila, but but uh, vodka is still the number one selling spirit in the market. You know, yeah. one in three drinks are made with vodka. You know, what I mean, it's it's amazing, and, and, and it's not by it's by a long shot. The, the next largest category I want to say is like RTDs. So it's very, but people have gotten bored. It's gotten stale, right? So again, going back to your question, what's next is really to show them that you know vodka, the vodka category doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be stale. I've converted so many whiskey and tequila drinkers tasting this product. You wouldn't you wouldn't imagine, right? So we're we're in the process of really just building that awareness and building that affinity for the brand. That's what's next for Blackleaf. Nice. And so we've taken up a lot of your time here, so I want to take too much more. But uh, where can people find you online? What is, what's your online presence? Yeah. So if you go to our <laughs> website, Blackleaf B L A C K L E A F Vodka dot C O, um, you can find us there. Um, we're really uh, use Instagram as probably our main channel. So you can find us at Black Leaf Vodka on Instagram. And you can also find Proof Theory at Proof Theory, P-R-O-O-F-T-H-E-O-R-Y on Instagram as well. And then I am, uh, what is my IG? See, I'm, I'm horrible with IG for myself. So I am, I am Monte B. So I 
A-M-M-O-N-T-E. The letter B uh, is my Instagram. Wonderful. I'll put all those links in the show notes. All right, Monte, thanks very much, man. That was a great interview. Great to see you moving forward with this. Awesome. Wish you all the best of luck in the future. Appreciate it. Look, I can't I can't wait to talk more about the product that we're about to launch on the Proof Dury. So I'll, I'll definitely have to let you guys know because I think we got something that may shake up the world coming. Beauty. Thanks, Monte. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.